Okay, welcome back. Excited for y'all to be with us here on the podcast, Real, Raw, and Flawed. We're working on third week now, um, getting through the timeline of the story. And again, this week, going to have my sister on. We're up to the probably the third little chapter of the timeline of when I was born to when I kind of start remembering in this chapter. So this is where we're going to start things off today. Amber is on the phone. Say hello. Hi, guys. All right. So we kind of left off where we said we were uh, about to move into Ely Park. And for me, that was the first time I started kind of banking memories and remembering things we did. So interesting, before we get started, is uh, obviously our, our Aunt Louise and Uncle Earl live here in Arizona now. They moved here from Minnesota um, a little over almost two years now. And our uncle and his new wife are in town as well right now visiting as we're doing this. And we went out to dinner last night and the podcast came up. I guess Barbara's been listening to it. Maybe George has heard some stuff, but started asking Aunt Louise about what she remembers from the podcast we've already started doing. So 1981 through 87, let's say. And surprisingly, she didn't really remember anything. She didn't remember why I bring this up, because I think we have to touch back on this before we move into Ely Park. She doesn't remember, and George, so Aunt Louise and Uncle George, her mom's brother and sister, she doesn't remember... And George doesn't either, us ever living together as a family at Ethel. Yeah, well, you know, I don't know that anyone was a super fan of that moment in time. And um, I'm not sure where they actually were, how old exactly they would have been at that time. Uh, Let's see, 1985 would have been the year potentially we lived there. So how old would mom and dad have been? Well, 83, Aunt Louise got married. Oh, 83, she got married? Okay, good. I was wondering about that. 87, Caitlin was born. Yeah, which was 12 years later. Well, no, 83, no. no, Five years later. Okay, I thought they didn't have her till. Absolutely. Okay. Right, so somewhere in that time is... She's... I I read... Josh, remember, she's like, do you remember mom coming to live with you for a while? She's like, yes... I said, well, right before that would have been the time Amber recalls us us living at Ethel as a family together for some period of time. And I also she said, doesn't but... remember that's, that's the reason why mom came to her house? No, she, she doesn't remember mom living with dad and us at that house ever, like officially living there. And George said the same thing. He said that he thought that she was on and off going there, but we never lived there. But again... Everybody was at a very young age, so everybody knows. You know, yeah, mom so and dad mom young. Had, yeah, and if mom had me when she was 21 and 75 and 85, she was 31, and dad was, what, two years older than her, so yeah. 31, 32, 33. So they're 31 and 33, just for reference as far as... Right, and so Aunt Louise is how much older than mom? Uh, also, like, two years, so I think she's also about 33. She's in the prime of her career. and Right, so it's a little bit strange that at 33 she doesn't remember that. Well, you know what's funny is that, I mean, I 
it's not funny, but when after mom passed and I was out in Arizona for those months after, you know, as things come up through the years and through all the emotion of the loss and trying to remember and trying to grasp onto things and stuff, it actually came up and it was, she was actually upset when it came up. So maybe it was just a subconscious memory that kind of bubbled to the surface and then, you know, she reburied it. Um, but you know, she had just said to me earlier this year that, you know, when she was very upset, you know, you didn't know what I did for your mom and that what your father did to her. And, you know, I, since our last podcast, I actually was thinking that I remembered that she probably loaned mom the money to get the apartment at Mozart street to get out of Bethel street. She when al- she went there. She also doesn't remember Mozart street and she goes, how, how would mom get that? So look, it could be a little bit of her just, it, it was so long ago for her. Not that she didn't remember the time. It was so yeah. long ago for her to remember those and specifics. It was <clears throat> but she also asked me like, how can you have not remembered it? And I said, well, obviously there was stuff going on that wasn't worth remembering. It wasn't like a great situation. I'm just surprised you guys don't remember any of it. Or mom talking about it. Or would you guys remember ever coming over to Ethel? And he's like, George said, never been to Ethel until way years later when, you know, mom was like, hey, Larry can fix your car. Um, And then Aunt Louise was more like, I don't even, I remember her coming to stay with us. I don't remember you guys ever living there. Um, and she she had a fuzzy time remembering the Mozart thing and how mom even got it and went and like. Well, I'm going to tell you right now that I mean, backing up, no one from mom's family I don't think was ever at Ethel Street in my recollection during the entire time that we were there as a family. <clears throat> Grandma Grandma Midwinter was not there. Louise did not come there, and Uncle George definitely didn't come there. Um, so I mean, we can confirm that. Well, so it wasn't. They yep. weren't visiting us at Ethel Street. But okay, so when mom did move out, when mom did move out and stayed with Aunt Louise, I think Aunt Louise still lived in Tocus Grove up on Reynolds, off Reynolds Road. And I think that's where mom was for like two or three days. And I'm pretty sure that it came out years and years later that Louise either gave her the money or helped her to get an apartment um, and secure an apartment. And she was very, very upset about it. Um, not the money about what happened and that the way Larry treated, you know, mom at the time. Right. So the only, so, the only thing that makes sense about it is we're, we're a little bit off in our timelines now because I'm, I'm a hundred percent positive. We spent more time at Ely, but that would put us into a situation where you're saying that we're already at, um, Berkeley, but so we're missing, no. we've added too many years somewhere. Well, no, that was our off-camera conversation, but right. I, after after we had that conversation, I got thinking about it, and you were right, because I moved out of there for about a year, which did make it about three, because I think that Mom bought Berkeley Street in 1990, so we would have been in Ely Park, like you were saying was correct, somewhere between the end of 87 through 90, so that would have been almost three years total that she was actually at Ely Park. Okay, so then we were... Which is what you thought. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. So... So it's just, we had a, obviously my sarcastic humor at dinner was like, well, it's, it's, it's nice to know I'm not the only one that forcefully forgot all the shitty situations. Nobody at the fucking table knows what's going on. And there, and I go, I have an excuse cause I was a little baby. What's your guys' excuse? <laughs> uh, I'm sure that went over well. But, um, 
But again, everybody was young doing what they were doing. Yeah, people are caught up in their own life and identity, you know? And they didn't know all the details. And mom was the really, really, really good at sugarcoating things. I mean, she didn't want anyone to ever know how bad it was. She protected dad even when he was at his worst. So that was her her nature. So maybe they really didn't know all that much until there was moments of emergency that she absolutely had to share. You know, so I mean, that's the, the unfortunate thing about it for me is <clears throat> that's that's most likely the truth, and it's most likely what happened. Um, the unfortunate part about it is, is knowing mom for the rest of her life and knowing how she was. I feel for her now of, of being in an isolated place in her life where. Yeah, maybe she didn't choose to from embarrassment, but I don't think she had anybody to really share with. It's not like you short shared that information with grandma, right? Like grandma wasn't loving until many years later. It wasn't like you went to grandma for, hey, I'm struggling with this guy you never liked. <laughs> like, like, yeah. like grandma would have been like, okay, you're grounded. And she's like, wait, I'm 31. <laughs> you can't ground me. He's like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> So I feel for mom in the situation. It it makes me feel like um, that she spent a a little, a few of her years right in the middle there, very lonely. uh, Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. I I really believe in the end. I mean, and I know that we'll kind of maybe eventually get there, you know, in the story. But uh, you know, uh, listen. I uh, there's a lot of people that do not like to hear me say these kinds of things because either they haven't traveled the road I've traveled or studied the things that I've studied about energy medicine and, and, you know, 5,000 years of traditional Chinese medicine and the way that energy and disease is rooted in the body. But unfortunately for, you know, the people that don't like to hear me say it, I, I really believe in the depth of my heart, not just in mom's case, in all cases of disease, that it starts with emotional holding. And, you know, you you take a a woman who was already deep-seated in her faith and in God and in the belief that love was enough right from the beginning. I mean, that's how we started this whole story, was her her love for dad and, and wanting to save him and thinking that she could teach him that love could save everything, you know, and change his whole narrative and his whole story. And unfortunately, she had to internalize a lot of that for a lot of years, coupled with that kind of Catholic shame that goes with it. You know, she struggled for almost a decade or more in even the thought of divorcing him, even after everything he'd done, and even after they'd been separated for a decade, it killed her to live a mortal sin, to actually commit the sin of divorce because she did not believe in it in her heart of hearts. So there were so many things that contributed to her emotional holding and a lot of the pain that she she held back while she was taking care of us and smiling for the world, you know, that's definitely been the, I think, the biggest weight on our, our hearts as her children, and you know, just feeling it empathically without even conceptually knowing what was going on. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, if we move into, we say we're in Ely three years, so we move into a. We we ended off talking about how it was a a different world, a little world within itself up there. A lot to do, community stuff to do, a lot of different building complexes. That's kind of where I started banking memories. It was on the backside of a golf course 
you know, our back door opened up and there was 150 feet of woods and then a golf course, Ely Park. So, um, you know, grandpa, dad's dad was kind of the one that spawned the golf into me via dad. Um, so I remember getting my first set of golf clubs at Ely Park. And it was for Christmas. It was a set of Wilson clubs, white bag, red, white and red bag. Wilson like starter junior set. <clears throat> How old are you in 1987? So, uh, six. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. So first, first bag got, maybe, maybe it was a second year in. Maybe it was the second year we lived there. So maybe, maybe it was six or seven. Um, <clears throat> Was I six or seven? I mean, 81 to 80. Yeah. Yep. I do believe. Yeah, so that's my first time. I feel like then. the clubs, I think the clubs were a little too tall for you even then, because I remember, yeah. wasn't that the first time Dad cut clubs down, and I thought, oh my God, you can do that? Now you have a career doing it. It's like, whoa. See, now here's where I'm getting confused, because I remember getting them as a memory, I remember that kind of moment, little little shave. I remember where the, the tree was and getting in, opening them. And now that I'm thinking back on the picture that I have of that moment, I was definitely older than six or seven. Um, so what are we messing I don't know. up with years? You were pretty sure. I mean, I, if I didn't know better because of the chronological years and the memories, I would have thought you were four. So you had a little spiky hairdo. No, I think you were. I think you were six. I think you were six or seven for sure. Okay, so that, um, that, that'll be my first memory. So <clears throat> call it seven because I think it was the second Christmas we were there. Um, I think it was, yeah, yeah. So I got clubs then. I remember, I remember a lot of things to do. Up until that point, I remember doing anything really, but I remember there was a lot of things to do at Ely Park. I mean, in the summer, bike riding, in the winter, sleigh riding because we lived down, it was a very hilly area we lived in right it was the top of the hill in Binghamton but also just within the property we had that hill right to the right of our apartments that went straight up uh-huh. into the next complexes oh, yeah, through the yeah. woods so we used that to sleigh ride down or bike in the summer um, uh-huh. and then just the entrance to our complex of houses was straight downhill remember the little S yeah straight on you used to ride your scooter as fast as you could or and we lived one over from that hill that we were, that was facing our entrance that had the basketball court, tennis right. court. Right. Uh, exactly. That, that was like the m- middle of the thing, like mm-hmm. clubhouse or whatever you call it. But <clears throat> so that's when I started banking memories there and, and remember being outside a lot. I don't I, – I remember the ride – I remember so many rides – and so many cars from Ely to Dad's house every morning for yeah, school. Many, yeah, many, many, many. I just the, remember the that being rise. such a routine of things. Yeah. Well, because remember, again, <laughs> to bring back to our second podcast, we were using 
either dad or grandma's address always so that we continue to go to JC school district. So mom would take us down the hill every single morning. And she was, oh my God, mom was a morning person. She was up with the sunrise and she was glory be and out there praising the sunrise and woke up happy and singing and the radio on and took, you know, an hour or two hours to get ready. Woke up, you know, before the sun rose to do her makeup and hair and stocking. (laughs) So by the time she would get us down into Johnson City, you know, she was probably already up for two hours. um, And we were just watching the sun come up over the hill behind the Price Chopper Plaza heading into Johnson City. You know, it's a... So things that are, like, sharper in my mind have emotional... uh, More of an emotional connection to them, right? So that's how the brain works anyway. You know, fast forward all these years later... In my business now, in this performance business, I was just with a guy yesterday, and the whole day we spent four hours working on his his uh, right and left brain activity and how he perceives things. So we spent, and and now knowing how the brain works today, fast forward, I look back and understand why certain moments are really clear and stuck out to me, um, and also why I said I don't remember anything until I was like after ten, but I just right in this moment had trouble realizing I was seven for that memory. So, yeah, so cute. So, um, and then the next, I was going to say the next really clear was mom had the big ass Buick, the freaking boat black Buick, the yeah, two door. Yeah. If it, it took, if you parking spots today, the length of them times two, <laughs> it was like a mini bus in length. Uh, and it had the door, each door was uh, six it feet was long. Coop. Yeah. Yeah, it only had two doors, not yeah, four, but two one doors. door was as long as four. Yeah, it was all solid. So the thing is, the, the door itself, you took it off, it was a half a ton itself. And uh-huh. on many of, the, many of the days, same routine, every morning, mom's already up three hours, happy as can be, I'm still sleeping. Um, getting in the car, and my she slammed my hand in the door. I wasn't in yet. And, man... It was such a it was such a painful day. Like I, I literally have such a connection to how bad it hurts to this day. That's weird that, because the memory, the brain doesn't actually remember physical pain, but it must have been just really traumatic, like emotionally for you, though. I just um, knew the door was so really heavy, and I feel the hand. weight, and like yeah. all, all that was just like wow, uh, amazing. Uh, but yeah, you're it, lucky you have a hand. But it was many things I even remember at Ely were um, stuck to emotional, high emotional states. When I got my clubs, that was a big deal. Because I'm in golf today, yeah. I've been in golf my whole life. That was kind of the spawn of it. That was a big deal. I don't remember what else I got. I don't remember another Christmas there. So, yeah. <laughs> obviously, my connection with things, even though I didn't see a lot when I was young or remember a lot, started happening with when there were bigger moments that really connected my brain filtered and stayed as a memory um do you do you remember um the time that you spent when you figured out that i remember the first time we were in the living room i god knows if we were watching tv or what we were doing but it was the bottom floor of the four-story townhouse and it had big sliding glass doors in the back that faced those woods that on the other side was the golf course and I remember the very first time a golf ball hit the window and we were like no way you know (laughs) it made it that far and and hit our building 
And I, I feel like that was the beginning. I could be wrong. I don't know what memories you have. I'd love to hear about you realizing that, oh, my God, I am going to collect all the golfers' balls. If they're making it this far, there must be a million of them in the woods. I'm going to collect them, and then I'm going to sell them back to the – I'm going to clean them up, and I'm going to sell them back to the golfers every day. And that was kind of the beginning of your entrepreneurial um, – identity because you went into full-on business at six years old seven years old in selling golfers their balls from the woods it was awesome yeah i mean you remember that? i don't remember that particular moment at all um oh, no you mean when the hit when the ball hit yeah i don't remember that particular moment i don't even remember when i realized there was a golf course there to tell you the truth um i do remember and i don't remember who it is no name i can't visualize see well, here, here's my memories are crazy. Is you know that tattoo I have in my back? The Timberland Crew. Yeah, all my best friends in high school, but they're yeah, just the, the shadows show. of them. Yeah. That's how I see people in my past. Hmm. I see a shadow outlining, and I can't see their face and who they are. Huh. So there's a kid really that I used to hang out with. Something in their brain, or if that's just um, maybe. I mean, to be honest, some people would really consider that a really great defense mechanism because you don't you know back to the cannabinoid conversation like some people remember details and some people just remember you know the outlines so well i I think and i i say that me just saying that makes me think that the reason why i got the tattoo the way i did was for that reason and i never thought about that before when i got the tattoo huh Um, interesting because maybe it was more a symbol of the memory was that I knew I had that many really close friends at that time. I yeah, just don't need to put a face to it. Were, yeah. 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 So that's, but that's how I remember people in the past. And I know if we face, you drove down the hill and you drove straight down the parking lot and our, we were almost facing our door. And then you yep. turned into a spot, right? Yes. Two doors, two or three or on the corner of that building, there was somebody I used to always hang out with. And that was the person, the shadow I'm with. And when we set up camp, almost, it felt like we, in the summer, it felt like we punched into work. Like, yo, you wake up, <laughs> like you wake up, meet you in the back. All right, punch in, let's go in the woods. And we wait. Here comes the first tea time. If the ball came near the little creek that separated the woods between the fairway, we were jumping there, grabbing it, and jumping the other side because the creek was wide enough where the golfers would, there's no way in hell they'd ever try to cross it but we'd go in it so it doesn't matter so we get the ball they'd, they'd sometimes see it but yo throw money across <laughs> and we did that I, fe- I literally felt like that was my first job we we it felt like a six job. days a week punch in <laughs> crush it collect as many balls in the woods you possibly can and then every once in a while as we got braver if there's a gap in the the groups coming through We'd, we'd go through the creek, get on the fairway, and run as fast as we could across and start hunting for balls in the other side of the woods. Uh-huh. But but it was a scary task because the width of the fairway, which is probably 60 yards in real life, seemed uh-huh. like across the country, like you were in a war with another country and you were crossing borders. Um, and hurry up, get back. Like, I'll watch for you. And if you got a ball, it just seemed like a bigger world than um, – I'd ever could imagine it. it. It seems so big and vast at the time because, you know, you're young. But uh, I just remember that being a big part of 
a lot of days of my life. Do you remember like some of the details of it? Like I remember, I don't know where, I don't know if you guys started like eventually like stealing or should I say borrowing baskets from the golf course or what the hell you guys were filling up golf balls in. All I know is that there was like buckets of golf balls and you also very, very quickly at that age realized what golf balls were in demand and what were not. Okay, you oh, yeah. knew that you could get premium price for like a Titleist or I don't know, I can't remember exactly, over, you know, some other swag brand. Also, you would start you started at some point dissecting the golf balls and breaking them apart to see like how they worked and how they're how they were actually made, um, which I think is really interesting, um, nod at your identity, you know, in your life now. So well, I think I don't know if you remember those details or not, but the detail I remember about why we started selling them was because we used to go in the woods to hang out and that was the thing like in the woods and there was a golf course there cool and one day you know here comes a golf ball flying into the trees click 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 and drop somewhere near us and it was like i picked it up and as these guys are driving down like yo kid throw me that ball and like something in that moment clicked and I don't know if it was more clicky, like, oh, I can sell golf balls people driving by, or it was more like, yo, I can sell your golf ball to you. No, <laughs> I, I think that was it totally, 100%. Yeah. So, it was but an it, but opportunist it, in us that was in our DNA. But it happened. It did It did end up – I remember a clear conversation, another shadow, golf carts there, him and another guy, and it was, it was a conversation like, look, dude – and it wasn't even a contentious conversation. It wasn't like, I was like, no, I'm not giving it to you. He's like, yo, bro, throw it over. I'll give you a dollar. He was being nice. Like, right. yo, throw the ball over, little kid. I'll give you a dollar. I was like, yeah, yeah how about 150? <laughs> like, so I, that second, that oh, one fantastic. moment turned into, holy shit, we could do this. And again, I'm probably eight. <laughs> and, and you were balling because like, we, I, we I was didn't killing really, it. You and I didn't, yeah, you, we, you and I didn't like hang out that much because at that age we were in such different ages. Like I was just starting to like become interested in boys, and you're like GI Joeing in the woods, you know. So we didn't like super hang or anything at that point, but we were definitely both around and in the house and kind of stuck there because of our ages. Um, but you would like you would like completely like take me and the neighborhood kids out to the clubhouse, which we thought was our own private freaking rest VIP restaurant yeah. and splurge and buy us all French fries or like anything we wanted from the clubhouse. You were like, okay, anything you want, you know, you know, like $35, which was like hundreds Dude, killing of dollars. it, killing it. Oh my God. Killing it. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Like it was <clears throat> the excitement and joy of, of what true entrepreneurship was at that age, which I didn't, you know, you don't know if that's what it is, but doing that and and seeking the reward in the work was like the first time I realized the addiction to that, like what that meant. Yeah. And I was like, damn, because I, I saw, I, I knew from a young age that mom hustled. Not like dad did. Dad hustled in like, yo, I'll do whatever it takes to get a dollar off you. Like I'll play you in horseshoes for a dollar. Mom worked her ass off. To make a dollar, yeah. there was two different hustles, but both of them hustled because we didn't have well, shit. Mom, well, mom put in as many hours as she 
many hours as possible to make as much money as possible. Dad put in as few hours as possible to make as much money as possible. A hundred. One's a street hustle. One's a a work hustle. You know, it's like right. Um, and and I what think, does that come down to? Core values, or is that just straight up <clears throat> learned survival skills, or is that a mentality? No, I is think that I think you nailed an it. Intelligence level. I no. Mean, does, is a criminal more intelligent than the working man? I mean, I don't know. No, I think you nailed it earlier with mom, and m- many people share this that mom went through. Mom had more fear that drove her to do responsible things, meaning fear of getting divorced. So she didn't because it meant what I'm going to hell or fear of not being a good mother to us and doing what it takes. So she just worked harder and got another job. Dad, dad lived more of the, um, you know, eat or die mentality. Like he was more primal would like forced, like I will, if it comes to me and you, you die. You know what I mean? He was a little more more primal with his things where mom was, I think, really based a lot of her life, which is great skill too, was a lot based on fear of what it meant not to. Whereas dad don't really give a fuck. And you and I are right down the middle on that because, and I think that's actually part of our superpower is that we're not extreme in either side of that. Yeah. like I. But we're capable of both. Yeah, I got a hard hustle, and I, I think till till probably right when I was like thirty, I was probably pushing thirty somewhere in there. I started, I started honing my more dad side hustle into a refined mom side hustle, and I, I really was clear about that when I was like pushing into thirty in my thirties. And uh, that really came from people that all of a sudden you were surrounded by because we had never been exposed to the people that then you were exposed to as you moved to ASU and right. worked at ISG Academy and TrackMan and all of a sudden you were exposed to a world population of people that were doing it in a way that we really never learned. We never had that learned. Even though mom hustled, it wasn't like a, and no, no offense to her or her life or her path, but it wasn't like an educated hustle, but all of a sudden you were surrounded by all these people that were smarter than you, except you were, you had an edge because of the street hustle, which made what they did even better and what created demand for you. So it was, it it was definitely, mom and dad, I've always said were, you know, they, they had their own struggles growing up and being together for so long and she really loved him hard and uh, he did the, the funny thing is they equally loved each other just as hard they 100%. were just both illy re- prepared to be in that much love and they both yes. sucked at it so it one wasn't better than the other in my opinion dad's was a shutdown I love you so much so I'm going to burn the world down mom was like yo I love you so much I can change you let me help you <laughs> it was just like yeah but I always say that those two people, that two people type of people, combination really, yeah. really fucking helped us um, become ultimate. Like I feel like I have equal amounts of greatness from both of them, like dead right down the middle. Agreed. And sometimes and- I can fall into one side or the other more, but I'm I know I can feel I have equal. Yeah, what's really interesting about that point, and I've I've definitely thought about it, talked about it, 
throughout my whole life is to your point yes so the equal parts that made us great and then the equal parts that yeah made it easier to fall one way or the other if we weren't careful in ways um so it was like a double-edged sword because i could be killing it and there's no job, there's no thing, there's no... I could move anywhere in the world and have any job in the world, and I could learn that job, whatever it is, in a very short period of time, and I could excel very, very quickly and probably outshine most of the people that have been doing it for years and years and years. That 100% does not come from ego, because even when I was doing it, I felt like a fraud. I didn't feel like I was even... I was shocked by my own um, potential in ways, but... Then in another area, my relationships would be failing because the parts of them that didn't know how to do that would come through louder in private or, you know, it, it was, it was, a, it was a tightrope walk for most yeah. of my life for sure. You know, uh, you know, another one, the first time ever's was Ely Park was ever hearing the ice cream truck. Oh, the ice cream truck. Never, never. That was the first time I experienced what that was. I remember... <laughs> Again, speaking to a shadow, <laughs> turning to a shadow in my life and saying, what the hell is that? It's like the, f- the ice cream truck. Like, st- like, look at me like stupid. I'm like, yo, we just moved in here. Don't call me stupid. You don't know where we came from. <laughs> but but I, that was a big deal. And it's like, it's funny how some, it's funny how some big deals are so global or I wouldn't. Let's not say global because that's pushing. That's that's rude to say. I'd say across this country. And not everybody's got an ice cream truck. Right. Across this country. White people in America. Yeah, it's a very global thing. Like, oh, remember the ice cream truck growing up? And people make jokes about it. It's in people's comedy bits. Like, but man, that that is such a fucking privileged bullshit fucking memory. Like, oh, cool. Your life's so awesome. You're just hanging out. And then all of a sudden it gets way more awesome. And this white dude shows up with... Here's ice cream, guys. More sugar. <laughs> like a fucking replenish for like being a spaz for the rest of the day. It's like, <laughs> and, luck, and luckily you were a baller at six and seven, so we could afford the ice cream truck at thirty-five. Oh, dude, that was my pimp ride right there. I was, I was, I fucking, I was peeling back ones. <laughs> go, go get that, get her whatever she wants. Get extra sprinkles. Everybody on the block gets some. Yeah, but I mean, man, it's, the perspective in life is. I think I think why this is really cool that doing the podcast is uh, I'm excited to explore things that people don't fully understand. So when I say, oh, you know, these memes are out every day and these things we all laugh at when we, we go online and we look at it, we can relate a 90s baby uh, relation or like an 80s baby. Yeah, cool. But I'm hoping like that moment, like open that up to – why that is such a strong memory and what it really is. Like the ice cream truck is a fucking privilege. <laughs> like that was, yeah. we, I, I thought we had never had any money and we were broke. I always tell the story, like we we're scumbags, but we had a fucking ice cream truck every day. Show up. Ding. And ding. We had a, a, a brand new Chrysler LeBaron. And we had an awesome townhouse. And we had like every place we lived was actually nice. We always had everything we needed. Like, we, we, for some reason, had delusions of grandeur and knew that there was more out there to get, but which made us self, 
aware in a way that made us uncomfortable and feel like we were poor or unworthy or something. But I mean, you grow up and you look at this town, you come back or whatever, and everybody's the same exact uh, economic bracket. <laughs> you know? yeah, 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 I was just going to say, let's, let's not get it. Here's a, here's a thing. Here's a truth. We were poor. But it was because our area was and is poor. Like in the countrywide, right. countrywide, Binghamton, Triple Cities has been a low income area for all of time before, you know, after IMB, I, I, IBM left. So I think we felt the global effect of our city like, yeah, we're poor, but we thought it was just us. Right. <laughs> it's like, no. yo, everybody's called, fucking broke. It's called middle class America. Yeah, yeah the rich exactly. people are broke here. Yeah, we had TVs. I mean, come on, exactly. Yeah. So perspective, I hope, is what you know. I know I'm gaining it right now as we speak and and talk through these. But I hope that's what we can share with other people listening. Is you know, it's it's only what you make of it and where you are. And as long as you keep on looking at every situation with a ton of empathy and, and a holy perspective, to really understand your moments not as bad as you actually think. There, kids aren't chasing ice cream trucks in other cities even in this country, let alone other countries, you know, they're chasing maybe enemies or chasing uh, maybe food. They're chasing time, you know. Yeah, they're picking up bomb shells and remnants of things and and making robots and different things with, like, scrap metal from, like, a war. (laughs) Yeah, so it's like... exactly. And the other thing is, is really, really, really to remember, and I'm so glad that we both came to a place of forgiveness in our own hearts and life and understanding and over the blame game because really every single person is just going through it and depending on what you've been exposed to and the people that you have around you and the opportunities that you're either been given or willing to take that's that's where it all comes from and it is a choice and we can change at any moment and most people are are still even in their 40s and 50s i mean we really only reached a quantum leap just in the last five or ten years where something finally changed on a collective conscious level that 50 you don't have to be 50 anymore to like figure out everything you did wrong in life you can actually figure it out at 25 or 30 and and change that so that it's not you know for years that whole oprah phil donahue generation i mean that was 50 years of abuse being unreported violence in homes like all kinds of things happening that nobody was talking about and literally moms and women and people all over the country were just burying that stuff and then dealing it with it when like everybody was gone when they were like 50 60 years old you know yeah no i i I can't that's a massive something has changed that's a massive thing to bring up. I think that's it's super powerful to even say it out loud because what what the real power you have over yourself and anybody that you think has power over you is being wide open, is sharing the moment and, and, and saying, you know what, I did go through that, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't define me. And that was a fear. I mean, the house, they talked last night. I was listening to them talk again. And every time Aunt Louise and George... And even when mom was alive, we'd talk about, oh, their versions of growing up. It was like, oh, you were the favorite child, and we couldn't ever get away with anything. We weren't allowed to do anything. We weren't allowed to do this. We couldn't do that. There was a lot of, like, no, no, no in their generation versus uh-huh. even mine and yours. Mom, it wasn't like she ever told us no. I think it was a woman she was, but at the same time, you and I would have never – we don't 
we didn't really listen. Not because we were bad kids. It was just because it's like, look, we can make choices by ourselves, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we just had the, we had, that, again, that kind of visionary foresight to realize that, look, this old paradigm ain't working anymore. And you're, you, not just our parents, but I felt that at a very young age, everybody their age was a sellout. Like, nobody was happy. Nobody was happily married. Nobody was happy in their job. Nobody, everybody was, like, being fed shit every single day. And they were okay with living a life complaining about it and not doing anything to change it. And yeah, feeling... Don't stir and, the pot. And, and no, also truly feeling like they couldn't change it. It wasn't. It wasn't just that they were. You know, some of them gave up, but some of them really truly believed. Like this is what it is. We have to deal with what we've been given. You know, and it's like okay, but a lot of my forgiveness has really come from saying, "Wow, somebody who's hurt someone else, whether it's your parent or whether it's a stranger, whether it's all the you know people in the world. Imagine how bad they're hurting." Okay, every single person that has ever inadvertently hurt another person who they loved is hurting. Oh, dude. And, it's, and it's, when you know that, it's insane. You forgive everyone and yeah. everything. There's a there's somebody that a podcast I always listen to. He always talks about. He said it, it's it it blows me away for how much people have time to hate on another human being. He's like, if you are listening to this and you have if you have time to go on a social media platform or anything and then to read somebody's post, watch what they're doing, and then you have time to comment in a negative way, he's like, damn, I just feel for you. Like, I don't, I'm not even mad because you have it way worse than right. the person you're giving shit to. Like, something's I, going I on with you that's so much worse. You're like a, right. either a bad person or you're going through some really bad shit. Yeah, I don't know what it happened for me, but I'll tell you that, I mean, and I've said this in previous podcasts and to you over the years, you know, for a lot of years, I was very angry. I was, I was full of blame and rage and all kinds of questions and all the stuff. And I don't know the moment it changed, but I know that when I changed from blame and not my responsibility and you did this to me and I could have been this if that and all this Boolean logic like backwards Boolean logic and I started solution based thinking when I started to solve my own problems and other people's which is part of you know what we do now I everything about how I felt and how I lived got better and, and except except relationships with people who were not solution-based because now I grew an intolerance of look it's okay to acknowledge what your problem is or what the problem is no matter whether we're talking about politics or your personal story or whatever it is that's on the table okay acknowledge the problem or in the classroom especially right and then come up with a solution or find an answer that's it that's the only thing to me that is a acceptable answer and when people haven't reached that place yet that is almost an impossible thing to ask of someone yeah uh, because yeah, they 100%. live in the narrative you know what i mean like no way no i no, you know and it's like well what, what's the solution what if what if we change that narrative completely and you know and um <clears throat> hey, you that, know what? Uh, on that the same tra- changing the narrative like listen to this this is like a I love this quote. I wrote it down and I read it often because, and it, it's exactly what you're saying. <clears throat> I don't even know where I got this. Um, but 
it was a conversation about these people that, that put a lot of hate on you sometimes or, or are quick to judge you without knowing you or, oh, like you must have had it good or just the hate, right? Take the time out of their schedule to put negativity on somebody else. He's like, again, I don't know if it's he or she. I'm not even sure where I, I, I pulled this from, but talks about if they try to bury you in your life, and they and people try to bury you, they try to bury, they try to bury you. Um, but what they don't realize is that you are a seed. Right. So bury me, because that's what right. I'm meant to do. Like it's right. just a Put powerful statement. Put me under the statement. dark, deep dirt and let me watch me grow. Right. Like bury me, because the analogy was like, hey, you you keep doing you, because you're going through something. Bury me. I am a seed. That's what you don't know. And when I'm ready to blossom and come through it because it takes time, you will see it in a different part of your life and hopefully it'll change your perspective. So it was like this full circle idea and I was like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Blow me away. And that's exactly what it is. You have to see the future of what a single moment is. And if you have to be really patient yeah. to, to realize that okay, asshole, you know, you, I'm glad you feel that way in this moment. Let's just, we'll see how you, now that we're older and we have that perspective in time and we can see how things have, that we thought was going to kill us turned out, now oh my, we can oh say, my. okay, I'll just wait on that. Oh my God, not to kill an awesome moment. This is just a funny, I, got, I can't pass this up. <laughs> I am helping contract a simulator system for a client in Texas, Okay. And their contractor I'm working with to help them build this whole thing. I'm on a phone call with this person two days ago. said, all you got to do is send me the new updated schematics and plans of the room. Because the last ones I got were just a wood frame. He's like, perfect. I'm going over there. I'll take video or pictures, whatever. I'll get it over to you. I just opened the email. (laughs) This is a professional contracting company. I'm not even exaggerating this a little bit. It's a picture of a piece of paper where he drew with pen a crooked square <laughs> with lines pointing at other lines with 12 feet 5 inches center to side. <laughs> oh my god. That right there is perspective. Dude, I'm I'm blown away right now. Thank you for thank you. I'm going to write back. Thank no. you. No, that's okay because, you know what, it does actually pertain to what we're saying. It's it's really all perspective. You know, yes. uh, I just saw that silly little meme where side by side there's a guy on an island and he sees a boat and he yells boat. And then there's a guy right next to him on a boat that's like, land. Yeah, they're exactly. Both, they're both totally alone. Neither one has anything more than the other, but they both think that the other one is going to save them. Yeah, no. And, and neither is and neither is true. And um, hundred percent. To your point about the schematics, I've been I've been working part time on this construction job through some friends of mine here since I moved back to the Binghamton area, and we have these like highfalutin engineering and architectural teams. And now the new way of construction is that everybody's got a construction management team and it's like just a it's like nine assholes that you pay to just like micromanage everything else they don't actually do anything but they have degrees so they sit there and they're all like only 30 years old so they have no field experience 
They have no hands-on experience, but they have book knowledge, right? Which is the worst kind of people, if you ask me. And they sit there and they just make everything complicated all day, right? So when you first bid a job with them, they give you like, oh my God, I mean, literally thousands of dollars of like um, specs, just like you just asked for, like a spec book that some architect, I mean, you'd think that it would take them three years to write these things just for one building, okay? And all these, you know, architectural maps and blueprints and this and that and everything. So they have every single detail covered and they have us hire they, ha- they tell you who the manufacturers are. So they say, we want a pre-engineered metal building put up, and we want it to be 25 by 12. I mean, I could go buy this thing from, like, Lowe's shed department and just, like, throw it there. But they want it done a very specific way, and this and that and the other. So they have a manufacturer that they say that they, they have to have these people. Carolina Carports, got to have them, got to have them, best in the fucking business, right? We go ahead, we bid the, the job based on the quote from this company that our engineers specifically asked for. Now, in the specs, you have to submit all these very specific things, not like your hand-drawn thing, right? You need, like, very specific things. You need welder certifications. You need, like, things you can't even believe they're going to ask for, right? And there's, like, a list of 20 things for every single product you use to build the building. This company they asked us to call is out of Raleigh or uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. These guys, oh my God, nicest guys in the world, slow as molasses. It took eight months for them to like get anything to us that we actually asked for. And then when it was all said and done, somebody at their company paid to be in a New York State job spec sheet, okay? You have to pay to have your name show up. If you want somebody to use combine golf in a state job that they're going to build some big state golf course, somebody from combine golf would have to go and pay the state of New York, DOT, Department of Transportation, and say, look, I really want to be in your specs as a specified manufacturer. You know what I mean? I want to make all your clubs for you. So somebody went to all that trouble. They must have known what the criteria would be when when it came due to get the job. Do you know that these people straight up did exactly that? I mean, they sent us like a cardboard box with like a marker drawing on it and couldn't provide anything that the specs required of them. And then we just had to like eat that, (laughs) you know? And it was like thousands and thousands of dollars worth of time and money and energy. And it's like, are you kidding? Like nobody foresaw this happening in the future. So to your point, I mean, it's all perspective. Those guys are probably the nicest guys in the world but here's a question here's here's always the outlook is if you knew or you could find out those guys or this guy send me that which i'm like what the fuck but i can go look at some of his projects and they look like the best piece of work in the world right like some people just don't need to show the long division to get the answer. I get that. I'm right? that way. And and that's where... I'm but not, I still would have done I'm it not, better. No, no, no. I'm not saying that. It's not about better. I'm saying this is where we as humans lose perspective about other humans. We judge um, a very a very surface area of a full human off one thing. And this is what we're... This is our nature. This is my point of this whole thing. Like, I think, like you said earlier, <clears throat> if you can understand that there's patience and time and 
and you have to throw love at things and this thing like bury it in your seed later. If you understand that, the macro of it, you you can become a really brilliant, empathetic person because you can see all angles. You can be empathetic and hold high perspective. Like, now, why would that guy send me a drawing on a piece of paper and think that that'd be okay by me? And then I gotta be like, well, shit. Let me let me angle this before I respond. I this was is, just gonna this say, is the right, big thing, right? You don't want to be a dick and like treat him like he's stupid just because you know better or something else, right? Right. And but here's the thing. He sees it clearly. And here's the thing. Maybe I am better. Maybe I'm like, yo, I've done enough of these. I'm gonna call this guy back. Like, are you kidding? Like, you got to put together some professional shit here to build a, a, a blueprint of a, a simulator room, and I can get after him. But what I've really learned these past five years is, is to take a little bit more time to think through it. The stupidest possible scenario. I'm still like, let me just give this a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. Let me just give this a minute. Let me try to figure out if I can possibly, on my worst day, understand where maybe somebody's coming from. And if I can get close to it, I can come back to the conversation and at least come to the level of respect because yes. I'm looking at everything today now as I never know who I talk to and who they will be later in my life. That's right. Not now. And that's been my strength. I think it's been my or strength for some time now. Right. I've been a, you know this, and, and mom, you, here's another clear memory. You know, I'm, I remember you and mom coming at me a little bit about, you know, when I was, I spent a lot more time out with other people than I did with my own family. And that, that is a true statement. And I have some regret to that from years past, but what I think it really helped me do as a strength was to constantly see opportunity and seek out opportunity every moment, no matter what, and, and not say, um, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. I always sought out environment and people and new things and parties and this and that and i was always saying yes to all these things because i always saw it as oh, i'm not going to go out like let's go get messed up and have fun i always saw if you're not available for a presented opportunity it will pass you by and you'll never know i just i i remember well, from a very young age seeing that and it goes right back to the ely with the golf balls i remember well, these okay. things passing through my brain somehow, you know, subconsciously or innately that the behaviors that you needed to learn to survive for you were going to be outside of your home because you kept seeing a repeat of the same behaviors there and it wasn't teaching you anything new. And so by exposing yourself to as many opportunities, just on a, on a, a flip side of that coin, you gained other coping skills, other communication skills, other familial skills from other people's families, all the different things that, you know, hopefully then helped you to build better communication skills, you know, in your <clears throat> internal life. I fell on my, I fell on a scooter. Nope. I fell on a blue bike. Me and two other shadows <laughs> would go to the top of the hill that entered our complex and we'd take that little hill down and go as fast as we could. Everybody's like, yeah. oh, I'll go fast. Everybody, all the kids in the neighborhood did it. We just had our own little clicks. I remember, man, I took the 
fucking nastiest fall. I was going so fast. I got the death wobbles. I started to get, uh, uh, and I was like, like a little bit crying, like while you're still up, like, like pre-crying because you know something bad's gonna happen. And uh, and it did. It, it happened pretty hard. The freaking front wheel, it kind of wobbled out, and I lost control of one of my hands. It said I went down, but I went down, and the handlebars turned, so that the the butt end of the handlebar went right into my fucking chin. And that's why I have this scar till today. Right now I'm feeling right under my chin bone. It split it open. It was the first time I had gotten a pretty se- I mean, it was I was gushing blood. It was the worst. I thought I was dead. Uh, but that was the first traumatic moment as a child. Like I thought I literally I thought I died. Like I thought I was- Sorry, only a sister can laugh at a horrible story about childhood. Like, ah, it was because I feel bad, but I can't help it. Like, so I, I mean, uh, you know those year, those years. There, I want to I want to be very clear about as we move on to. I want to be very clear about the, the what intrigues me the most about looking back and about the future. If I ever have kids and the future of children and. and people with children today is to can't stress enough that during a certain window of time there's a high emotional state to everything and it's so much more less at a certain period of time some people after they're you know 16 17 18 or after 18 it's different for some people but after that point it starts to be less we get a little bit more desensitized but in those early years there's such a deep emotional impact on everything that happens said done witnessed because it's a lot of it's we experienced it for the first time but also because we don't have the other bullshit on our plates like the biggest deal that day was me me falling because i didn't want to fall like i I, the the object was (laughs) ride down the hill as fast as i can get to the bottom raise my hand say what's up homies and that didn't happen it went tragic and it seemed like the end of my world. Um, right. And as we get become adults, it's like, well, we have rent now and my job and this this relationship with this girl and my car. And we don't we sometimes I believe we lose sight of really important emotional experiences. And we run right over them because of the social anxieties and stresses that exist as we become an adult. Sure. And especially the ages between seven and, you know, 14 or so. I mean, we're, we're, our chemistry is changing. We're becoming more independent. We can see the world more. We're very egocentric in that, like you said, I mean, in the moment, the biggest thing happening that day was you and your bike and, you know, not really seeing all the rest of the world, but remembering, you know, the first crash or the first kiss or the first, you know, time you came home after dark or, you know, all those, all those little moments that are, poignant and special i want to give sure. i want to give massive credit to because it's like forget the bike thing but you know like for a parent i would say again to their point of looking at both angles looking from your kids point of view is too when everything you do so, so the love you give them a hug after a, a good job you know kissing the forehead little things that seem little to you because you have this noisy world you live in as an adult, but are so massive to a child. Yeah. Is 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 really where 
I'm really passionate about today because of the stuff I'm doing in the brain just man it's it's just so overlooked because we're busy people you know it's it's more so even now because you know it used to be mom went to work and when she left work like yo you didn't have a cell phone or a voicemail like that like if anybody called you at work to find you they had to wait till tomorrow because yeah. <laughs> you were on your off time <laughs> today we're so accessible that like our work phones are our personal lines so right. everybody gets to intrude on your space and when you're home meet with your family and someone emails you ding and you find yourself taking four minutes to read it so I, dog. yeah, yeah I, f- I really feel like and it's, it's look I, I'm not the person that blames technology I don't blame self no, I blame it's, us it's, it's us yeah, well, humanity, humanity and technology interfaced at a time when we weren't ready evolutionarily you know what I mean I mean that's and and we're actually seeing that in real time. I mean, we've lived in a time that is very very rare. Although yeah. grandma, grandma and dad, and different people would say that everybody thought that their time was you know the hardest time. I really don't think that our time was the hardest time. I think that our time was the most interesting because we really saw history and the collective consciousness evolve and reach tipping points and and peak points that changed the way everyone did everything forever. Um, And we witnessed it happen, but just because, just like being a kid, we could conceptualize that happening, like, wow, look at the computer, and oh my God, when AOL used to dial up, you know, and uh, Uncle Earl had the first printer, and you could hear it printing, and we would just make banners just to make them, like, I love sports. Like, who needs a paper banner? Now here we are 30 years later, like, don't anybody print anything you don't need? And, you know, we don't evolve as fast as our conceptual knowledge does, yeah. you know? And um, we're, we're doing that in real time, and it's interesting because we're actually, like, aware of it. It's happening to us, and we're seeing it happen in our, in our lifetime specifically. We'll have seen, you know, all the way from our great-grandparents just, you know, still making stew and everybody working and grunting through to where we are now. I mean, we well, might see cars fly. But that's what, so, but that's my, interesting. my point. Yeah, that's my point, though. Like, I, I don't I don't follow this bandwagon of people, people that are like, you know, technology's making it worse for our kids and these yeah. things. And, and look, here here's the very don't know what clear... don't with it. Here's the very clear absolute truth everything we have access to was made by us so right. who are you blaming god didn't just like drop a cell phone from the sky and go all right fight over it this is not a freaking this is not the war of the the worlds and we're in a dome and we're fighting each other like <laughs> humans right. are making the problems humans are complaining about it's just us and that's why well, you say we make something great it gets out of hand a little bit. We kind of we do this like advancement back up, advancement back up because it's us, right? Right. And 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 uh, again, I talk about this a lot in the classroom and with many, many, many of my friends here. Okay, the internet. I mean, I, I should back up even one step further. Okay, the the introduction of television, radio first, and then television. I mean, that was us saying, okay. We're not going to evolve our own actual power to use telepathy and continue to be able to, you know, the quantum or the uh, hundred monkey theory where, you know, the the hundredth monkey can can make all the monkeys in the whole world do the same thing for the first time. 
today if the hundredth monkey does it. Okay, so we, we, we create radio and we create TV and all of a sudden a very, very active world population who chops all their wood and every single thing they do is something that involves action, right? All of a sudden is now sitting and listening and then sitting and watching. And then we realize there's power in that. And then the government gets involved and realizes, oh, there's power in that. And we can sway many people at once by showing them the same thing repeatedly over and over and over again, right? And they learn about hypnosis. They learn about this and that and mind control and all the weird things, right? Then we, we move towards the internet. The internet is literally a projection of our brain, to your point. We are so egotistical as human beings, as the collective, that we have to create what we can't control inside ourselves externally so that we can touch it, right? But then we don't know what to do with it because then it sucks all our real power as humans out of us because we're so distracted by the touching of the thing that we made that was actually already made from the model of us, <laughs> which we didn't make, which God made or the universe, right? And everything becomes distracted and bogged down. And yeah, to your point, I mean, and then we have to reverse and go back to what's important. You're already seeing it happen. People are going back to, you know, keeping heirloom seeds and protecting food and putting their, and having to make rules and boundaries about phones and internet and things like that. Because yeah, it all, our ego we, we don't have, takes over. The thing is we don't have, we don't have much control of what will eventually happen all the time. Meaning we have, we right. can, we can make decisions as groups, yeah. as collective people and get together and make change and, and, and have massive global change. And there is, but end of the day, because there's so many people doing exactly what you said, putting out the projection of what's in us already, and then having to react to it, that's going to keep happening. We're going to keep making crazy choices and bad decisions and good ones and more bad ones and good ones and more bad ones. Yeah, the atomic the, bomb. Right, I mean, right. Yeah, but, the world, but the world, mom, mom used to ask me this thing all the time from when I can, oh, I can remember in Ely Park. Again, we're in Ely Park. I know we go on tangents here, everybody, but this is why, why we've broken away so many tangents here is because this is when Amber and I, I think, evolved most as our human beings was these years. And this is why I think we keep going down some off topic of, of just these years. But the point is mom used to ask me all the time, like, why don't you, why don't you, like, why don't you ever plan anything? Like, what do you mean you don't know when you're leaving or when you're coming back? And it, it was simple for me. I didn't know at the time of the actual answer, but I've always known that I don't have control over the bigger picture of, what this world will do for itself. This world, this organism will take care of itself. And if it needs to shed right. everything, it will and start over. Or right. it'll implode in the next gen, the next world. It doesn't matter. That to me, I know is a fact. And right. for me, it's like when I add timelines and things and I'll, well, if I leave here, I have to be back here. And, and that's why I think you might share this with me or not. I don't know why I've never really liked to hold a job. Is because I didn't like the restriction, the time restriction. <laughs> not not from a standpoint not like the job, just work for someone else. No, no, no. I, I said it right. Like I don't care what okay. that sounded like. Okay. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I don't feel like you couldn't hold a job. I don't remember that. Okay. Well, it, holding a job is my fault too, right? Like uh, you know, 
self sabotages. We'll get into that one too. Like I've <laughs> I've done a lot of self sabotaging on purpose. Like my point is, it wasn't because I was like, oh, I can't be here from nine to five. God, they feel trapped. I more felt sometimes that I didn't have enough time given to me to show my creative. Sure. Right? Instead of being like, oh, Jesus, I have to be here eight fucking hours? Kill me. I was more like, dude, you don't have enough time on your books to pay me to bring what I, I got. Do. What do you want from me? Right? right? And that's why I also, right now, I'm, as I work as much as I do because now it's my choice and I have unlimited time. Um, but that's because of what you were saying. I see, I see the big picture in the end of what's going to happen will, and we have small choices to affect parts of that. Right. But in the, in the right. big picture of things, we just don't, you can't hold on. That's one of those internal things you talk about, like holding on to something so hard that you can create disease in your body. Like don't 100%. create stress in your body because it'll come out in disease it'll come out in dysfunction it'll come out in stress that you can't overcome and just feel overwhelmed and bogged and pushed down and that's why yeah you and i can just move around and float i can live somewhere tomorrow i can live somewhere else well, the that, next day that was one of the things that i identified a lot as a child that i couldn't really you know articulate until i was much much older but I just knew that I could not deal with any kind of extremism, even though people may or may not have perceived me as extreme just because I got loud about something I cared about. That was just because I felt nobody was actually listening or cared about anything that was important. Back to that whole like sellout mentality of like, what are, you guys aren't even putting effort in the right area here. Like, what the hell is everyone doing? But I just felt like everybody is so extreme on whatever it was, whatever their freaking platform was, that's all they could see. And it was all that all day. And there was nothing else to them. And, you know, I freaking loved George Carlin growing up. I think he is one of the most brilliant minds to have ever lived on this earth and he, to our point he says about plastic and this is the exact point he says you know our egos you know oh everybody's worried about the plastic the plastic right he's like it's gonna ruin everything and it's destroying the earth and that because the earth is so powerful and so amazing and so beyond human ego that the earth will incorporate plastic as a whole nother layer and then shake us off like a bad case of fleas sure. you know and that's the point. It's like you have to be careful what you choose. You know, choosing your battles, that's one thing. But choosing your passion is really important. Choosing exactly what you said, the little moments and the little things and the small ripples that affect big shores. And every act doesn't have to be some grand act. Every every life doesn't have to be completely dedicated to only one thing. I can only see one way, you know. It's too much. You have yeah. to live a life of moderation no matter who you are or what you believe in order to truly be connected to the rest of the people here on Earth and to the Earth itself, 100, really. 100%. So <clears throat> this is, so everybody listening understands, this is what we do, just so everybody's <laughs> fucking aware. This is usually what a conversation between my sister and I comes down to is, hey, how's your day? How you been doing? Oh yeah, this uh, this guy sent me this thing today. Oh, yeah. See, that's the thing about the world. <laughs> see, so we can we can take we can take a conversation deep. Everything right? is just sacred geometry. 
geometry and quantum physics. I yeah. mean, it all deducts down to nine. I mean, it's not really that complicated. Every yeah, single yeah, pattern, yeah, every thanks, pattern, thanks for adding, every pattern repeats itself a billion thanks times for adding over every complexity pattern. to it. I just tried to dumb it down. You just added more complexity to it. So now none of the listeners know what the fuck's going on. It's really simple. It just comes down to nine. All right, we're out. <laughs> End of podcast. Comes down to nine. Goodbye. Drop the mic. Yeah. But no, so, oh, so okay. let's wrap up Ely. Where are we? Let's, let's yeah. wrap up Ely a little bit. Um, yeah, we didn't even. There, there's a really lot. We didn't, yeah, yeah, we didn't really touch on a lot, but um, I think. I think what's good about it is <clears throat> we touched on an, enough to touch on good learning points for you and I and the listeners of those years for me were were prevalent because I had a lot of emotional experience in those years and I can I can fast forward those really quickly and all the conversations we just had and why I learned the way I did and those really make sense they really plug into me looking backward now. Um, and, and sharing some of the deep conversations we just had. So I'm glad we just took a couple moments. We didn't really tell you the story of Ely um, because there's a lot more, uh, and I think we have to put it in another one because <clears throat> we haven't talked about, you know, first-time camp seratoma, which is a conversation, uh, right? We have to talk about that. Like, that's not... Uh, the best. Yeah, so yeah. Um, um, we promised... Well, no, you know, we can't. We, we can't go any further because we can't take podcasts over three hours. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> well, all you did was set the backdrop. My God, I know, but we get down these freaking <laughs> rabbit holes. Have nothing to do with anything we're even talking about. We're talking about Ely Park, and then we're talking about quantum physics and the number nine, the stars aligning in the galaxies. Here's the thing. <laughs> If, if we can learn it, anybody can. And that's the whole point of this podcast. So no, our 100%. Story, yeah, but, our story look, is just the outline. You know why we didn't finish the Ely Park in this one? Because we don't script this. I want everybody to understand that listens that we I, I've never scripted a combine performance podcast. I've never had but the idea that I wanted to start with ever put into it. And it's the same with this. I don't want anything to come out like played out we wrote it down the ideas and the order and the, here's the time frame if this takes three more it will i plan on one but the point is we go where it takes us because learning that's the way learning needs to be learning can't be structured that's why i never did well in school i never did well in any school i mean i literally p- teacher conference in high school every teacher in the school with mom and me saying yo <laughs> very very slim chance this dude is freaking graduating high school. He should just drop out, <laughs> drop out, and get his GED if he wants it. I love that that was the Johnson City mantra for, eh, if you can't, if you can't make it to, to middle of the road, you should just quit. Yeah, it's like, and look, fast forward, I put in the work, and I crushed that freaking last year, and I just yeah. squeaked by to get out, but it has nothing to do with what happened next. I am I am running a business that we're doing very well on. I got employees. There is so much shit that's involved in running a company that I never even got close to learning in any schooling. So right. thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for almost failing me. Uh, but anyway, so I think 
point is we never script this. We don't want to script it. We want the raw to come out. That's why it's real raw and flawed. Let whatever comes out, comes out wherever it takes us. That's the point. You need to have raw emotion, real emotion, and respond to things that are happening to you in the moment. So we'll pick this back up because there's some really cool stories and funny laughing stories um, in these years. Like when we started going to camp, this is when I started like remembering smiling and laughing and having a freaking blast. So um, and I know it was for you too because we've talked about these at dinners and just in, in laughing. So we'll get into uh, part two of this, this third chapter, Ely Park years. We'll come back at it. Um, and we'll just get you back on. So that's all we do two a week. Sounds good. I look forward to it, and I'm having a great time doing it. And uh, thanks so much. Appreciate it. All right, awesome. I appreciate everybody, all your support on everything uh, I've been doing, actually. If you're listening to the business as well, I know a lot of you have kind of spawned over from the business podcast. But this is Real, Raw, and Flawed. Find us on iTunes. So that's little confusion if you have an iphone that's already an app on your phone that says podcasts click it open it you search real raw and flawed subscribe to it it's free download it listen to it review it good or bad we love it one star five stars we're all learning um leave some love and soundcloud also go on soundcloud there's a free version you can download stuff there's a premium version it's up to you Search the same thing, download, subscribe. It means the world to us that you're following us on the journey. We love you all. Appreciate everybody in our lives. Until next time. Bye-bye.